0: and welcome to the expediters podcast where we look at the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider i'm your host chris parker and today we are focusing on the e in esg that's environmental social and governance which are pillars of corporate sustainability and we're going to be talking about the importance and challenges around emissions and carbon footprint data with me today is Cam Smith, director of environmental sustainability, and Nina Barton, manager of environmental sustainability and network solutions in North Asia. Cam, Nina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, it is a pleasure to have both of you here. So, I want to get a little bit of background on you two before we get talking about today's topic here. Uh, Nina, let's go ahead and start with you. Would you run me through your career and your history with the company or even before? How did you get involved in logistics and, and what brought you to this role now as manager of environmental sustainability?
1: Oh, wow. Um, this might take up the whole section. So um, <laughs> like like most people, I kind of fell into logistics and started my career with expediters. In January 2002, um, in our Manchester office as a uh, district sales executive, Mm -hmm. I then moved into the account management program as a RAM. In 2010, I moved down to London uh, and took on a GAM role for a couple of years. I took over the retail vertical for what was EMER, so Europe, Middle East, Africa, and India. And then that brought me to Hong Kong in 2015, looking after Asia Pacific. Over the last few years, we just started to see that in our conversations with retailers, everybody was talking about sustainability. Mm -hmm. It was the number one topic that they wanted to talk about with every meeting we went to. Every um, customer event we had, they all wanted to understand more about sustainability. So I started teaching myself and learning more and more about that. I did an external sustainability and supply chain management certification, which actually Cam did as well. We were on the same course because we both had an interest in it. Mm -hmm. We then created a a unique role in North Asia where I had to focus on both environmental sustainability as well as uh, supporting the network solutions group as well. So. Since then, a lot of that started with retail, but now it's expanding into every industry um, that we are involved with globally. So and um, that's kind of how I ended up getting involved in this particular part of the business.
0: Cam, let's turn it over to you. Same thing, your history, uh, background with either expediters or just in logistics. How did you get to where you are now? Well, I started
2: with expediters in 1994 in the air export warehouse. So I come from a strong operational background, worked in New York, Miami, um, New York again, and then uh, shifted into the role of transition implementation. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're responsible for onboarding accounts and making sure that they were brought into the fold appropriately, and uh, we were delivering on what we're supposed to. In doing that, sustainability was something I'd studied growing up back in university and decided I needed some additional education, saw the opportunities uh, that were available and the things that were coming up in relation to sustainability and the things where our, our company can have a greater impact.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I took the same course that Nina. We didn't know we were each registering for it at the same time, but we did. And then followed up and took a course in uh, leading sustainable corporations at Oxford Syed, and then interviewed for the role, and I've been the director for environmental sustainability uh, now for the last six months, shifting from London back to Seattle. So
3: yeah. welcome back
0: we're to very- the
2: States. very excited to be back.
0: For the environmental sustainability team that you're on, uh, what are some of the big focuses right now?
2: Really looking at working with customers. So we have our internal focus, which has been there with our our corporate green teams uh, for for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's helping to make sure that those are taking care of everything internally. But externally, uh, it's reaching out. Customers are asking more and more questions. We want to be there for them. And we want to work with them on reducing their scope three emissions as well as uh, delivering in those particular areas.
0: Let's go ahead and get started with today's topic. And with the first question I have here is uh, I want to establish the baseline or like these the 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 sustainability landscape here within the transportation industry. Would you tell me what is unique about uh, ESG programs within
2: transportation? Really, people just really want their stuff and they want it now. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The (laughs) supply chain is it, it, it. is consistent and demanding. Uh, the environmental piece is trying to figure out how to get good stuff uh, and better stuff to people in better ways. So companies are trying to reduce their carbon greenhouse emissions. They're trying to just be more environmentally sustainable. It's our job as is to step in and help them out there. But
0: what do you mean by that good stuff, better stuff in better ways? Good and better stuff. So
2: basically buying better, um, using better, uh, and working on things that are within a circular economy. Mm-hmm. So anything along those lines that actually is going to bring value back in, we end up using a lot of plastics. So couldn't we do better with that? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Nina?
1: Yeah, I think one of the the challenges um, that make it unique as well is the, the globalization within the industry. Everything is moving across the world by different forms of transport that are historically fossil fuel based. So the idea of being more environmentally friendly makes it a lot harder due to those kind of complexities of global supply chains and not necessarily knowing exactly where product is coming from and what that supplier is doing in the Mm. the other side of the world, right? So you then obviously have challenges around customer expectations as well. So they need to come busy to make sales. They need to meet their, their targets. They need to keep their customers happy. So all of these things kind of mix together to make it challenging to look at how do they meet the expectations, how do they deliver the service, deliver the product in a greener, more environmentally friendly way.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: within that global supply chain complexity, there's a lot of different aspects of it from the social side as well uh, and governance. But for today, obviously, we're focusing on the on the E, mm-hmm. and it's really about understanding the trade-offs and how they can uh, look at the different options that are out there to be able to deliver their stuff in a better, greener way.
0: Yeah, this is a industry dedicated to moving things around the world and therefore yeah. it requires... And it's an old
1: industry. <laughs>
0: yeah, right, exactly. An old industry, reliant on fossil fuels for the time being. Um, so there's there's just a couple of things like, right from the get-go that set it apart from other industries in terms of trying to reach certain goals or, or, or establish various initiatives.
2: Yeah, it's very tough to have sustainable business without new business. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that the wheels stay on and we continue to keep things rolling, but then it's also working to find better ways to do that.
0: I know that we've covered a little bit already here, but what would you see are some of the conflicts or the challenges that the transportation industry comes across as they're trying to improve their ESG compliance?
1: So I think infrastructure is certainly one of the challenges that, that we face within the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst there are already a lot of good solutions out there in certain parts of the world, it's not necessarily supported in other parts as well. Right. especially um, looking at, at Asia. So investment and cost, right? There's a lot of cost that's sort of been banded around when it comes to um, the development of new fuels or the new technology that's out there as well to help uh, reduce emissions. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges that, that's face really is the, is the costing side of things and, and the infrastructure. Um, also, the changes in regulations is constantly new changes happening, new things every day, you can pretty much guarantee you'll get something in your inbox every morning that <laughs> something has changed somewhere along the line. And um, so there's and there's like a lack of, of standards. And I think a lot of it as well comes down to the fact that it is global, right? Every country has a different path. Every country is doing things slightly differently. And um, so then that has a, an impact on the private sector as well, trying to work out how do we navigate around all really, these different challenges that are being thrown out there because of the nature of the business. Some countries are uh, more heavily invested in decarbonisation than others, right? They have their own targets and they are supporting the private sector by um, offering incentives and um, being able to develop cleaner fuels faster than others as well. So I think the complexity of so many different countries, so many different regulations, so many different agendas that that really adds to complexity globally.
0: Global issues, but but made different by the various countries that are trying to initiate their own standards and uh, regulations, and the
1: investment that's being made. It, yeah. it varies considerably depending upon which country in the world you're looking at. I
2: think it's because it's a complex topic as well. There's a, there's a huge lack of knowledge, and and the reason I say that is the the knowledge sits in particular pockets and areas in the logistics world. We haven't done a great job spreading that knowledge around. Um, so there's huge opportunities for us to, to help our customers and help people just generally move in cargo in order to spread that knowledge more effectively. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, our, it's our job or incumbent upon us to explain that and help people out so we can work on ways uh, in which to get people to decarbonize. That feeds an economy. And when we're feeding an economy, obviously that is an opportunity in order to invest in that infrastructure. Um, when people see that and the value in that and what the yield and return is, um, I think we'll see much, much greater changes and adjustments.
1: Yeah, a lot of the focus from, from customers due to regulations and requirements has been around reducing their scope one and scope two emissions, which is an easy attack because that's something that um, companies have more visibility of and, and greater control of. When it comes to transportation, which falls under scope three, there is a lot of the challenge around transparency. There's a challenge around getting the data to actually understand what emissions look like and the logistics industry just because of its nature and the fact that it is uh, one of the highest emitters of the emissions globally as an industry Mm -hmm. means that there's going to be greater pressure for all companies to really focus on reducing their carbon emissions and Because of that lack of data and transparency, that's going to be a challenge for everybody.
0: You've mentioned scope three a couple of times here. For folks who may not be familiar with that term, could you explain what that is? And I mean, scope three implies that there are more than one. Uh, What are scope three emissions?
2: Scope scope three emissions are uh, defined by the greenhouse gas protocol or GHG protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, what that is, is really 15 different categories of emissions and how they're measured. It's long and it's complex. <laughs> but at the same time, in the, in the transportation world, uh, we focus on category four and category nine scope three emissions. And those are basically upstream and downstream emissions. So either getting your products or, or selling your products mm-hmm. and getting them to market.
0: So th- there's a lack of knowledge, things are constantly changing. Uh, New fuels, new means of sustainability and reducing emissions are constantly being developed and innovated on. Investments are hard because it's expensive to change the infrastructure. What's the relationship like with, I guess, shippers as they are aware of these kinds of things? What pressure do they feel? Uh, What are their expectations of the transportation industry?
1: Uh, Transportation is really starting to take like a forefront in this, we do see more and more customers are coming to us and looking for solutions across not just in terms of investment, um, just in terms of being more efficient. So, just going back to your comment around budgets and, and investment and the challenges around that, right? Mm-hmm. That is certainly an issue that we we see with customers in that they don't necessarily have a sustainability budget per se. So anything that's going to potentially cost money, they need to obviously find out how they're going to pay for that and and to uh, recoup that that cost within their business. Which more and more companies are getting uh, more creative around how they do that. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, when we're talking to customers, the first thing that we always look at is really about avoidance. Um, you know, are they Ordering the right quantities or, you know, sometimes we see customers who are actually over ordering to meet minimum quantity requirements from suppliers and they're ordering products that they don't need and they were never actually planning on on selling in the first place, right? Right. So trying to look at um, trying to avoid things. How can they use technology better? And so then that will also help to reduce costs as well. Then looking at reduction of emissions. So can they look at moving, um, switching mode, for example, from a higher polluting transportation mode like air freight to so a multimodal or ocean uh, or rail as, as an alternative. And um, can they do better consolidation? Can they optimize their network better? So these kind of areas also actually have the benefit of reducing costs as well. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a costly thing for a company to go through. It will enable them to just follow a more efficient process within their business, which will then help to remove waste. Uh, which then also helps to reduce their emissions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, once those kind of opportunities have been exhausted, and everything is, is, is as efficient and optimized as it can be, then there's the opportunity to look at, you know, what's termed investing within the industry, where they are then looking at investing in alternative fuels, for example, which do cost um, significantly more than, than standard fuels, uh, especially if you're talking about uh, maritime or aviation fuel.
2: I love what you said there, Nina. So. It- really is focusing on kind of three Cs. So consistency in service, mm-hmm. cost, and then looking at the carbon uh, output as well. And we are seeing that really from a lot of successful procurement approaches um, with companies we do work with. Um, they tend to have a more comprehensive approach, as well as uh, showing a lot of resilience in their supply chains and how they're approaching those activities.
1: One thing, Cam, I was going to ask. Did you want to mention anything about what's happening in terms of like sustainable fuels with book and claim methodologies and, and things like that?
2: Book, book and claim is basically when you're inputting sustainable fuels into the same value chain, but it just might not be exactly in the same value area. So in other words, you're putting uh, fuel in Chicago and your movement is actually taking place between Shanghai and Seattle.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, you're claiming those credits or that fuel or that carbon offset. Uh, that has taken place by insetting it in a different location.
1: It, it is it is needed for the industry because it's the only way it's going to grow because then it gives the flexibility and for every chipper to invest in sustainable fuel without uh-huh. having to be restricted to a particular carrier or lane or airport. right? So if the overall sustainable fuel pot is going to grow to the point that we need it globally, then it has to have some flexibility around that. But it also then has to be regulated. So that it is managed properly. There is a full audit trail. So no one's making claims or stuff that they shouldn't be kind of thing. Mm. But with the book and claim process, that hopefully alleviates some shippers' concerns about the fact that their freight is not moving on and that flight, right? It doesn't need to. They can still claim the benefit because they're contributing to the big pot because we're all under one environment, one earth. So it's all about how do we grow that together?
2: Well, it's very similar to what takes place in the electricity market where you have renewable energy credits that are sold in one location and then used for development in another area. And then those credits are retired against whoever has utilized those, not multiple parties utilizing those. So if they're used by a single party, then that allows them to be represented and it allows for that investment in another area. So it drives that demand and that demand signal. So they could build more uh, solar or wind farms or renewables. And the same is true. You could build more refineries that can uh, actually refine the sustainable aviation fuel or sustainable marine fuels or any biofuel.
0: That really changes things because at least for... At first blush, when I think about sustainability within transportation, I, I do immediately think of, you know, alternative fuels or, or um, you know, electrification. But those are the easy things to look at. But there's a lot of opportunity available for uh, reduction of em- emissions just solely by changing and tweaking things in the, within the supply chain. Do you find that customers approach things in that way? Like they, they tend to think of alternative fuels and such first before they actually even consider um, how their supply chains are designed? Well,
2: we tend to gravitate towards that technology piece or, or things that are exciting and shiny in, instead of looking at the things that are just tangible um, yeah. and, and easily affected. Further consolidation, yeah, the mode shifts, slowing down the supply chain or having greater visibility or planning in that supply chain as well. Obviously, if you're sourcing better, uh, you're sourcing on time and you're pulling in on time and your production schedules are matching, you're going to be able to deliver on time.
1: I do think though, that a lot of customers, their initial reaction is, well, this is going to cost money. This is going to be an investment. But actually, it can also save them significant money as well. But it all comes down to having the data and the visibility to be able to understand really what that, that baseline looks like, to then mm-hmm. be able to do that analysis, to then delve into that data and understand what can be done better, what can make their business more efficient and therefore Reduce their cost, improve their customer service, and also uh, reduce their carbon emissions as well. All
0: right. So, as other industries are decarbonizing faster, there's been an increase of pressure on the transportation industry, particularly around you know supply chain, right? So, what role does the forwarder play
2: in all of this? Well, the forwarder can help to not only source the right equipment or the right fuels and the things that are fancy and shiny that I spoke of already, sure. Um, but what they can look at is is those tangible things. Uh, so better planning with the customer, uh, better visibility, providing uh, the tools as far as reporting. So you're not only looking at historical data, but you're taking that historical data and perhaps modeling that into the future, Um, You either utilizing digital twin technology or something along those lines in order to figure out what your supply chain can look like uh, moving forward.
1: Having that ability to provide alternative services as well, alternative modes, right? being, offering like a, a suite, a, a menu of different transportation modes that meet the requirements of different products or different business units within a company. That's a big part about it as well as, as campus is around the data and being mm. able to, to provide real insight into what the business really looks like.
0: Well, now that you said the magic word, which is data, uh, how easy is it to collect this data? How easy is it to... Uh-huh. Uh, is it is that the wrong word it's not
3: <laughs> how it's is exactly the collection of
0: data <laughs> uh, can we talk a little bit more about about data is it a challenge uh, to report on emissions or to collect this this kind of information
1: it's a huge challenge um yeah. i mean data in general is always difficult right? especially within supply chain data it's never clean it's never perfect there's mm. always gaps and there's always challenges
0: why is
3: that
1: just because of the complexity of the of the supply chains right and where you're gathering that data everybody reports slightly differently there's mm-hmm. there's always challenges around getting that base sort of shipment data but then you, you add that into the complexity of, of emissions as well and, and how they're calculated you know, there are different standards out there people are using different standards to calculate emissions some using sort of advanced software others using sort of more traditional and uh, what we call a top-down approach with just a distance versus a Uh, Emissions factor versus a a weight. Then you've got different companies are then reporting on well-to-wheel versus tank-to-wheel, so um, the life cycle emissions versus tailpipe emissions. It's it's something like an EV, for example. Mm -hmm. Tailpipe emissions are zero, so that looks fantastic, right? But if you look at the life cycle emissions and you take into account then how the, the lithium batteries are produced and the cars are produced, then it actually, or the trucks are produced, it takes a slightly different the numbers don't look so great right sure, so sure. that's one of one of the other issues you then have the fact that some companies are reporting on um, GHG emissions overall so not just carbon whereas others are just reporting on, on carbon and um, so you start adding all these different things together and um, and there's just such a lack of consistency and a lack of standards out there that well, if you're bringing in data from several different providers for example, then you don't know that that information is accurate. You can't guarantee that that is actually giving you a, a true understanding of, of your baseline. Unless unless you're really mandating to your service providers what they need to report and how they need to report, then it's it's kind of a bit of a, it's kind of like the wild west, as, as, uh, as Cam would say, in that the data is, is really not as accurate as it, as it should be.
0: Yeah, it makes for a really fuzzy picture, it sounds like.
1: Very fuzzy picture. Yeah.
2: As an industry, we're working very hard in coming up with ways to harmonize that data, though, um, Mm -hmm. or at least the GHG data and the outputs. Working with organizations such as Smart Freight Center and Mm -hmm. the likes of that, so the GLEC methodology has been very effective and helpful for it through our industry.
0: Well, actually, before you go on, could you explain what the GLEC methodology
1: is? It's the um, Global Logistics Emissions Council, Mm -hmm. um, which is part of um, Smart Freight Center. But it's designed to drive standards within reporting um, emissions within the transportation industry and mm-hmm. um, so very clever scientists who are way way smarter than <laughs> uh, than I will ever be um, have have come up with all these different um, calculations and factors based on multiple different aspects so you know, types of aircraft um, types of road even load factors, types of fuel um, whether it be a standard like diesel or uh, alternative fuel like an EV or or hydrogen, Mm -hmm. Um, they are really building that that calculation method to try and make the reporting of emissions as accurate as possible within transportation.
2: So fresh out of a meeting in Amsterdam, the information that we've been able to put together and work with governing bodies, as well as with carriers and other forwarders uh, and, and customers in order to figure out how that data can match up best. It's making significant progress.
0: But still has a ways to go.
2: Yeah, there's even some ISO certifications that are coming in. ISO 14083 is on its way. So we'll see some additional standardization um, here fairly quickly in in making sure that what we are capturing does indeed reflect what is taking place as something's in the air, on the water, or uh, of course, on wheels it's amazing how fast it's developing literally yeah. i'm relaying information that i picked up last week yeah, yeah. so uh in meetings so the rate of change and speed it's it's no wonder you're asking significant questions or we're even learning as we go today yeah so i'll pick up things from nina and will pick up things from me uh just because it is the pace at which things are moving
0: so both of you, you know, in your conversations with customers, what would you say are some of the common strategies or realizations as they've set their own goals for either shooting for net zero or net positive emissions? What are the some of the the aha's that they've uh, that you feel like they have come to understand more of the challenges that the transportation industry is seeing?
2: Well, I think as we look at those first two pieces uh, that Nina brought up earlier, so avoidance and reduction, mm-hmm. those are definitely ways people can start pushing towards those goals. As we get into the insetting or utilizing fuel or something in the same value chain, what that does is, again, offer greater possibilities to reduce emissions. And then what can't be reduced or inset must be offset. Um, And so that is providing sufficient reporting so you can offset your carbon footprint appropriately.
1: Those are exactly what what customers are doing, but it all, and I keep banging on about this, it all comes back to the data, right? They they can't really start to reduce until they understand what what the baseline is. So I see a lot of customers spending huge amounts of time uh, really investing in getting their data as accurate as possible from the type of vehicles that they're using to pick up freight the the type of planes that are being used or the um, the actual vessels to just get as granular information as they really can so that then they, they know and they can be confident, one, in their reporting uh, of their emissions, but also in that they have a strong baseline that they can then look to follow all these sustainable logistic initiatives like avoidance or reduction or, or insetting and, and even offsetting is uh, kind of the cherry on the top. But data, 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 yeah. <laughs> which is not particularly glamorous or sexy, <laughs> unfortunately, but that's sure. what, kind of where it all starts.
3: Right, right.
2: Absolutely. And you can't improve it if you don't measure it.
1: Yeah. 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 You can't, you can't manage what you can't measure, right?
0: Nina, you said that the, the picture is, is quite murky because there's no consistency with how, with the data as it's coming in. Do you feel like the clarity of that data is improving or is that a little bit more far off in the future?
1: As, as Cam mentioned, there our new standards coming out um, and people are starting to understand that more. Um, Mm -hmm. In China, it's slightly different in that the GLEC methodology that Cam talked about. That is being implemented. Um, So everybody's calculating things in in different ways. Um, We see more and more going towards GLEC methodology, but still not every um, company out there is aligned to the GLEC methodology. There are still one or two in other places that are being used. Um, But even using GLEC methodology doesn't necessarily mean that um, the report uh, and the data is going to be the same because some are reporting on, as I mentioned about well-to-wheel versus tank-to-wheel or all right. emissions versus just carbon um, and also it, it can depend upon the the data that you feed into it right? as with everything um, what, what you get out depends upon what you put in so you could well be using the same software to um, generate the emissions but if you're basing the pickup location or the origin as maybe incorrectly or slightly different um location compared to to other um service providers or other companies then you could get a completely different output as well so yeah. it's it's really about the consistency of the the, the data management and and um, how you input that and the type of data that you use as well as the emissions factors that are being used in the methodology as well. And if if they're not the same, then it, you get further and further away from the tree. Yeah.
0: All right. So last question for you too. Um, what kind of conversations could companies be having uh, internally as they work towards their own sustainability goals?
2: I think some of the keys really planning and speed. So mature companies that we're working with that are actually controlling the velocity of their supply chain are capable of, of finding those reductions and avoidances. Um, in, in their carbon footprint, um, and they're doing that by having good data. So, um, in other words, not only are they communicating um, with what they need, they're actually communicating good data and running that through their organizations.
1: Mm-hmm. I think there's also some great technology out there, and um, digital solutions that help them really get an understanding of the the data and the impact of making any changes to their business as well. So I think they need to really look at the the technology that's out there. And also it doesn't have to be a cost. Mm. And I think that that mindset needs to change that it's going to just cost money. It's actually, as well as being beneficial for the environment, um, which is obviously what we're all aiming to achieve, it brings efficiency to their business. It can also help to reduce costs. Um, and improve customer service. So I think that that thought process needs to be part of the the whole discussion. And it, the message also needs to come from the top, right? For for a company to really drive forward with this, it's, the message really has to come from the senior leadership and be a part of, of everything that that they do. It can't just be kind of a, a standalone project to look at. It has to be part of, of a company's culture.
0: You know, you said that the transportation industry with, you know, collection of data and and lack of harmony, it really feels like the Wild West. Would you both say that this is an exciting time or a nerve
2: wracking time? Everybody loves a Western, don't they, Chris?
1: (laughs) It it, it is an exciting time, right? It's a great time to be part of something that really is for everybody, right? It's, it's It's driving for a better future for everyone. And it's just changing so quickly that it's exciting to see how the advances that are being made. And that everybody is really starting to get on board with this as well. And I think one of the other things that I feel about this side of, of uh, around sustainability is that there is a real focus around collaboration.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Everybody feels that, you know, we're in this together, we need to work together. Um, you know, Sometimes we talk about working together and collaboration in other parts of the business, and it might be some kind of uh, challenges there. But from a sustainability standpoint, I see that that collaboration be, is, is key. And everybody is on board with that. We can't do it um, without each other. So I think that's one of the areas that I find one of the most exciting.
2: Yeah, those collaborations are leading to great partnerships. And again, partnerships then breed ideas and they also breed capital. So we need capital in order to make sure that the infrastructure is there.
0: Cam, Nina, thank you so much for uh, your time talking about this. I really appreciate it. And I feel like like, there's a lot of reading that I want to do immediately after this conversation.
1: (laughs) I can relate to the reading, Chris. Pleasure's
2: ours, Chris. We really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been great.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using. So you won't miss the next episode to learn more about expediters. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care and I'll see you next time.